0: Hello everybody and welcome to Sharanigans. My name is Colin Sharan and I'm here to explore the lives of extraordinary people and topics. And on today's show, we have one of my favorite people in the world, John Gray. John is an author of written stories and poems. He's also a songwriter. He's an entertainer and he's just a man of many talents. One of the coolest things he's done, in my opinion, he co-wrote and co-published country music star Ray Price's final album, some music on there called Beauty Is. He also hosts his own TV show called Just Plain Living, and you've done that for over three decades, is that correct? Close. Close? Close, okay. yes. We'll get into that a little bit more. But um, yeah, I'm so glad you're here, so glad we can have this conversation. I've known you for such a long time, but I'm so glad that you can I've be a I've known you
1: since you were born.
0: That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I wanted to start with uh, that talent thing. You... you are well, definitely. A man I tell you of what, talents. Colin,
1: what I'd like to do first is I'd like to tell your audience how appreciative I am that you've asked me to be part of your podcast. Yeah, you know, uh ladies and gentlemen, this this young man is one of the most talented people I've run across in a long time. And he's one of those one of those folks who has a vision and the the courage it's very difficult to have creative courage when you're young because it usually doesn't pay much but that's where the superstars come from the people who who see the light and chase the light and no matter what the cost and uh, colin is doing that in many many ways in his life and as a creative myself and a promoter of creative people he's one of my young superheroes and I'm just very flattered that he's asked me to be part of his journey by being part of this podcast.
0: I really appreciate that. I, uh, for those listening, I didn't pay him to say that, so don't don't worry. But um,
1: creativity usually doesn't pay anything. <laughs>
0: good point. Good point. <laughs> but uh, no, I I just I figured I would ask you to be on the show because you've helped me in my creative process, and I'm very honored that I could have been part of your journey, and now you're a part of mine. That's so. Right. Um, But speaking of the creative process, you really have seemed to have been able to do it all. You've uh, pursued many talents, many interests, many passions, and I'm kind of trying to figure out the same thing. So what is your secret to pursuing many passions and talents while staying focused on other things such as life for general for general sense?
1: Well, uh, I became a, a friend of a gentleman that was one of my mentors. Uh, by the name of Teddy Bart, and Teddy Bart was one of the people in Nashville. He had the noon show. He uh, he was a musician that came from some uh, up north and moved to Nashville. Great piano player, and when I was young, he used to come around the towns and play and and sing. Uh, but he was he was more than that, and he in toward the latter part of his life, he was probably the number one. Uh, call to talk about political things. He was a he was a political analyst and and he was very good at at doing what he did. Matter of fact, he was so good it took me a long time to figure out whether he was a Democrat or Republican, and I still don't know because he interviewed all those people and and he had to find a way to you know walk the middle and not alienate anybody from either side and. At, Toward the end of his career, he did a blog uh, every every week, and it was about creativity. And one of the things he did was he was giving creative people instructions on how to survive trying to be creative. Because your family's going to tell you when you're going to get a real job. And your friends are going to go off and they're going to do things and all of a sudden they're going to be driving a better car than you possibly and, and uh, getting married and buying a house and doing what normal people in our society do. Creatives don't do that. Creatives have make a choice to, to follow a dream. And it's very difficult to do because... A lot of times when you need to be at work, that's when you also need to be at a casting call or a film festival uh, to, to show your, your newest product or your newest journey that you're on. And the workspace is not always real comfortable with that. And in a lot of places like Nashville or like uh, LA, where there are a lot of creatives Society has to help this process by providing job placement that is has latitude to where you can say, tell your boss, oh, I've got to go, I'm being being asked to cast for a part in a in a movie. and I need to be off Monday Tuesday uh, to do that. And the people around you recognize the fact that you're you're a good person, you're a good worker, but you have, another dream. And following that dream is is a very difficult course. It's a very difficult path. And a lot of times it's a very lonely path. And the beauty of it all is, is what you find on that path. It's, it's not always the destination. I'm 72 years old right now. And I look back and I keep thinking, you know, when's, when's the, the shoe other shoe going to drop? When's that next big thing going to happen? And then I look back at my life and I look at all the people I've talked with. And I spent an afternoon with Vern Gosden, who sang, the one, I think, the greatest country song ever. A lot of people think it was uh, the, the George Jones song, but to me it's Chisel in Stone. And if you don't know chiseled in stone, go find it and listen to it. And you'll realize it's talking about you don't know lonely till it's chiseled in stone. And a lot of people don't realize that's a gravestone. And so I spent an afternoon with this guy. And when I was young and, and as I look back, how wonderful was that? The, the beauty and the magic of a creative life is on the journey. It's not the destination. There's never there's never enough money or there's never enough gadgets that they can hand you to equal the payment that you get in life by the journey you're on and being a creative person and the other creative people that you meet with and share ideas, ideas with because their minds work differently than normal folks and the spark that you get from each other that lights that next... That next match that lights the next fire in your life and your journey along a creative path, you never know where that's gonna happen or how simple a fact that makes it happen for you. And that's one of the toughest parts of, of leading a creative life is the the nerve and the stay to itness to show up every day and and search for your dream. And uh, you're at the beginning of that path. And I just want to let you and other young creative people know that, you know, we old cats are out there to support you because we've walked the same in the same path, some to better success than others. But, um, you know, when I, I'm going to tell a little story right now. Sure, you? Absolutely. Uh, when I found out that I was going to have a title cut on Ray Price's last album, of course, I, I, I thought, this you know, this can't be true. The song I'd written 20 years before for my wife on our 19th wedding anniversary, and it had been turned down by everybody in Nashville. And uh, matter of fact, they even wrote a song about it called Rejected one time. Um, but it's a pretty good song. Uh, sang it myself to where it sounded like it needed to be rejected, as a matter of fact. <laughs> um, I had a friend. I oh, still have a friend. He's still a friend. Uh, Steve Brewster. And Steve uh, Brewster is from Tullahoma, raised in Tullahoma, and is uh, one of the most dynamic, called-for drummers in the United States of America. He's played with everybody from Michael W. Smith, uh, Prince's sound crew, Michael Jackson's light crew, he's played with uh, Katera, who was the leader of the band Chicago. He just got through playing on a on an album with Rory, of Rory and uh, Joy, the uh, the the lady that died, the country act. And he he's doing a he played on this album, and it was a duet album, and Dolly was on it, and Vince Gill and Trisha Yearwood and uh, uh, Allison Krauss. And Stevie played drums on all of it. He has his own studio. When he found out that I, that I had received the honor of being on the Ray Price album, he called me from Nashville and he said, I want to come to Telehoma and take you to lunch. And I said, why? And he said, well, I just hadn't talked to you in a while. And he came down and and we went to London's and went to, got a burger. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, I realized that probably nobody in Tullahoma would understand how important that what's happened to you, how important a thing it is. It's not monetarily important. It might be. It might end up. You never know. But the validation of having one of the greatest country singers ever to, ever to live to pick your song as the title cut to the last album he would ever do is monstrous and he said I know that nobody would understand it but I get it and I wanted you to know that and I wanted to tell you how proud I am of you and so that's where that's where the payoff comes from in a creative life now some people are very fortunate and make huge sums of money but that's probably 2% the other 98% of us um, do it because we can't do anything else we have to do it if you're a writer you have to write if you're a singer you have to sing if you're not doing it you're not you and a lot of times life gets in the way because you do have a family and you do end up with kids and you do end up with a job because you need cars and houses and clothes but it never completely kills that creative spirit It's always with you and you'll always do it. It may be in small doses, but you'll never, you'll never give it up. And then at one point, like me at 70 plus years old, life's not in the way anymore. I get to do what I want to. And I'm doing everything from art to, uh, singing to writing, publishing, um, I'd like to dance, but I don't dance quite as much. Hand me that piece of paper with a paper clip right there. I write a I write a little book. I was in a, <laughs> I was in a group of uh, of uh, poets called the Not Yet Dead Poets Society, and one of the ladies came in one day and she said, uh, she was real happy, and I said, "What are you so happy about?" And she said, "Oh, I write haiku." And I was published in a haiku book. And I thought, well, I don't know what haiku is. And I said, well, what is that? And she said, well, it's Japanese poetry. And it's uh, three stands, three uh, syllables, five syllables, three syllables, or five, seven, five. And, and she said, no rhyme. Or you can't have rhyme, doesn't need rhyme, and no title. And so I thought, well, you know, that, that's, uh, everything needs a title. And I've never been much one to follow rules anyway. So that night I started my own form of literature called Loku, L-O-W-K-O-O, which also could pronounce LOKO, which is what I am from time to time. Loco. <laughs> so this is one of talking about dancing and talking about things, other things that you do. You finished your chores, successful or not, the empty hook book searched, Nothing is left. Everything, every canvas holds paint. Each horse is in its stall. You peek around the corner expecting nothing at all, and there waiting impatiently is the quick step. Well, the quick step is a ballroom dance that's done very fast, and I've always looked at it my whole life, and I thought, man, I would love to do that, and I never have done it. So now as I'm working my way through the disciplines of creativity, and I, I just like I said, well, let's say I've done the art, I've done the writing, I've done the singing. Well, I'm finished, and I turn back and look around, and there's the quick step back there. I'm like, oh, no, you're not through yet. Come here. <laughs> We're going to do this. Yeah. And so that's the beauty of, of creativity is, is having an opportunity to experience all aspects of creative life. There's so many, and and there's so many things you can do that, that that might seem small. I mean, if you think they're small, look at the credits behind a movie and see how many people are involved in the creative side of producing a movie. And you'll realize that there are many, many, many people working in the creative
0: world. Absolutely, yeah. And I I am a firm believer that the creative journey never ends. Obviously, I'm still young to uh, really understand that. But from what I gather from what you said is you're still on your creative journey.
1: Brand new every day. Uh, uh, it's, it's sort of like when you write a song or when you find something, that nugget. And one thing I tell, I'll uh, tell all of you in a creative way, that, that live in a creative way, you cannot read too much. There's And you cannot watch too many movies and you cannot listen to too much music because there's you'll be watching something that you've seen, maybe a movie that you love that you've seen 50 times before, and all of a sudden you'll hear something that's different, that, that strikes your mind differently. Maybe just that time, because your mind's open to that. And there's your next, there's your next song title. You know, those two words, I, I was watching a movie one night and, and it was about a, uh, you know, now people drive cars and they have these car races that it's not about speed. It's about getting to this point and that point. I forget what you call them. And, you know, you get to that point and you got so many minutes to get to the next little town and, you know, pick up a flag or get a check or whatever. And they were doing this walk with horses back in the old Wild West and black and white movie. And this these guys are all riding as hard as they can ride. Dust is flying everywhere. And uh, they get to the next town and all these cowboys are soaking wet with sweat and dust and stuff. And behind him in rides this guy on this white horse, and he looks like he just came out of GQ. You know, he ain't got a drop of sweat on him. And he's in the race, too, but he's just chill about it, you know. So he goes, they all in the bar, and Shelly West was the actress that was playing the part, has one of those little fringy bar girl suits on, you know, and she sees him, comes running across the room, jumps up, wraps her legs around him, and hugs him. And the camera shows his face and he looks at the camera and says, I've forgotten just how good a bad woman feels. <laughs> and so I, the next day I wrote the song, I'm a good, I'm a good judge of bad women.
0: Wow. So, so, you know, so you
1: never know where that, that little acorn that that sprouts up an oak tree is going to come from. Right. Literature is full of it. And it, we, we, everything, every emotion has been written about and talked about for thousands of years. There is no new emotion. There's just new ways of expressing how that emotion affects people. And so as you read the, the masters and you read books that, that you think, oh, I, don't, I don't, there's no reason I want to read that, but you'll find something you'll find that little nugget and always be searching for it because it's like a, do you like steak? Oh yeah. Love steak. Oh, love it. Yeah. Love steak. Isn't a steak dinner, a great thing to have. It is. When you get finished with it, sometimes don't you wish you'd never taken the first bite where you could eat it all (laughs) over again
0: or just keep going all night,
1: you know, but you can't
0: Right, because
1: you're full or it's gone. A lot of times when you have an idea, a really good idea that you work with, it's kind of sad sometimes when it's over, you know, because you, you sooner or later you have to finish. Another thing it's, that a lot of creatives have a problem with is turning something loose. Is it good enough? I've known artists who do that, who, who you, the, the, the painting's finished, is beautiful to everybody else but them. And then they want to go back and start painting on it again. Uh um,
0: I'm going to interject real quick with yeah. that. I think personally to me, that's because, and there's a million different answers to this, but I, I feel like artists get scared because they're afraid people won't understand them and people won't understand their art. So they get in their head and they kind of think, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to get my audience to understand when really I'm just trying to understand myself. So, can you add to that maybe Yes, I can. What is something that people misunderstand about you and maybe your art? The
1: thing that you've got to do is don't care. Uh I this book of this book of mine, this this uh Loku book, you know, there's stuff in there that people won't understand at all. Because what I did what I did was the, the first morning I woke up and and I, I've always been very fortunate from the time i was young that the that the space between sleep and wake there's this time in there that's magic to me and i've always paid attention to what happens there and most of the time what happens in there sometime during my day i can see that little that little piece of information showing up and so for the first 30 days, every morning when I wake up, the first thing that came into my mind, I'd write this loku down, and I didn't edit it. You know, a lot of times people uh, people do something, and they think it's not good enough, and they work on it to the point that they ruin what they did to start off with, which was a free thought. And then all of a sudden, your free thought, which is beautiful, and floating like a butterfly in the breeze, when you get through with it, you put wooden wings on it because everything, everybody thinks things need to be made, made out of wood. And you paint it three or four colors because somebody said, oh, well, that's the color of the month. And when you're through with it, it's pleasing everyone else but yourself. This beautiful inspiration of yours doesn't exist anymore. So you can't worry about what they think. They either will or won't like it. It doesn't make any difference. It's what makes you happy. Because there will be people out there who will get it. And the first one I wrote, the first loco I wrote was, Down a thread seldom stretched, a red-lipped hummingbird pulled up the socks inside her blue suede shoes, the color purple. Whoopee. Now you get it.
0: I have to be honest. I I'm red not lips,
1: sure I... one one end of the hummingbird, blue shoes at the bottom. The, the the mix between red and blue are socks that are purple. The color purple. okay. Whoopi Goldberg was the star and won an Academy Award the color for the color purple. Right.
0: Okay. So yeah.
1: they they've turned into word puzzles. And will everybody understand that? No. 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 But the ones who do see the magic in it some of them are some of them aren't quite that difficult but but and so they ended up being kind of like word puzzles and uh my mother my mother used to I woke up one morning and it was a in my eyes vision was a was a a muffin top with blue circles on it and so i wrote uh, the muffin top looks like uh Uh, a blueberry muffin i like burnt toast best buttered because my mother was a great cook and she burnt the toast all the time and i never i didn't know you didn't have to scrape toast before you butter it till i was 20 something years old nobody will get that but me right but let them think about it because the next one might be very obvious but don't don't sacrifice what makes you happy don't ever let anybody else, much less a dollar bill, determine your happiness, ever. You're the only one that can make you happy.
0: That's uh, that's really profound and really deep. And I, I have to say, I really, I totally agree with that. Um, it's, it's one of those things that is, I think art and creativity can be scary sometimes because you Traillery. don't know what's gonna come next. Like you said earlier at the beginning of this podcast, you said uh, with creativity, there's no money or something like that. You know, that's scary too because as a human, you still have to live, you have to survive. Yeah. But I, I definitely think that even when I'm working on something, a creative piece, and I, I, I'm sure you go through the same thing, you're almost scared in a way because uh, you have a million different questions in your head is are people going to like this? Am I putting 100 percent of my effort into this? You know stuff like that, and I, I think um, I think that's a challenge. And well,
1: and there's a, and, and Colin, there's a fortunate few, and and people think, oh, well, that just happened overnight. Nothing happens overnight. Just because you see, like last night, Luke Combs was entertainer of the year, and some people don't have a don't even know his name. Oh, that's overnight success. No, it's not. He's been playing in bars and honky-tonks and, and uh, on little stages uh, outside his high school in a park. Dustin Lynch. I've got video of Dustin Lynch down at the Rocket Park down here by the high school when he had a little band in high school called 13 Rain playing concerts down there. To, to and, and he's always been quite philanthropic Uh, because he'd come on our television show and we'd promote because the money was going to some cause. And no, those people don't become successful overnight. They work and they practice and they hone their skill. Very few of them, and uh, you say like Andy Warhol. Well, here's a guy who paints a Campbell's soup can and it's worth, you know, what, $15 million? But... To get to that point, he lived in a loft with some people in New York, and they lived like like vagrants, for years, uh, being artists and uh, Guy Clark and Towns Van Zant and some of those folks who are writers. That people, uh, John Prine, you know John Prine. If you don't listen to John Prine, first time you listen to John Prine, you think I don't get it. Well, he's a storyteller. He's, he's a life lesson builder. Is that what the business wants? No, the business doesn't love him, the fans love him. And a chosen few of those people are fortunate to get that lick early, which allows them to, uh, to go forward and, and, and hone their creativity in a in a more comfortable style than most people get to that's the two three percent the rest of us we're doing it for one one reason and one reason only is it makes us happy and we can't live without it
0: i i absolutely agree i think art really fuels artists i I know that sounds kind of cliche but it really fuels artists um, i'm wondering about you what makes you want to get out of bed in the mornings? I'm sure it has to do with some, something creative, but you mentioned there's this magic hour uh, in between sleep and when you wake. What makes you want to get out of bed?
1: Get out of bed? I can't accomplish anything in bed. I, I wish that we didn't have to go to bed. I'm one of those people that I'd, I'd, like, to be, I'd like to be where I never had to go to sleep at all. And I don't, I don't sleep very long. Uh, I was uh, to support my family uh, through the years when my son Jacob was, was going through school and not just my son, our son Jacob, my wife Fran. Uh, you know, at some points, I never had a great big high dollar job. Uh, I worked two and three jobs. And I drove to Nashville every morning because I was in the construction business and I would be up there on a job site by seven o'clock in the morning. If I didn't leave till home, I five, I didn't get there on time. You know, so I was up four, four, you know, four o'clock in the morning. And so I got used to living on five, six hours of sleep. Now, if I sleep any longer than that, I can't basically, because if I wake up, then my mind starts working. And I just seem to get up and get out of bed and start doing something because I, I'm miserable in, in bed. So uh, I'm always looking, uh, and, and my wife, it's kind of funny, she, she likes to spend some time in bed in the morning, and I'm, I wake up, I'm singing a song and making up nonsense and picking at her and kidding her, you know, and she's going, will you leave me? Well, morning's beautiful to me. Uh, I love to watch the sun come up. Uh, I wrote a song about uh, the commuters and driving into Nashville and the red ants, like, like the taillights look like red ants marching in the, in the night. You know, the closer you get to Nashville, the more the red ants come into the, to the interstate. And uh, it's just refreshing. Uh, it's, it's a brand new day. I wake up every morning like a baby bird hunting a new worm, you know? and I mean, I'm, what's out there today? Something's out there today. I got to find it. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm going to be happy about it, whatever it is. And if it's a problem, well, we'll deal with it. And then uh, we'll put it to bed. A lot of people carry stuff around too long. You know, uh, when you do go to sleep, there's no reason not to go to sleep because you're worried about something because you can't do anything about it in the middle of the night you know, the next morning it's either going to still be there or it's going to be gone. You know, you can't, you can't, if if you spend too much time thinking about the past and worrying about the future, you never get anything done today. Live one day at a time because that's all you can affect. You're not guaranteed anything else. And so in that, living that day be sure that you make yourself happy in doing it uh, make it a good day Paul, oh, what was that guy's name used to be on the radio it'll come to me in a minute but he'd have the little two or three minute deal on the radio and at the end of each one of his broadcast Paul Harvey he wouldn't say have a good day he would say make it a good day It's up to you whether you have a good day or not. Not anybody else, not your boss. Oh, they can throw bricks at you and throw stones in the way, but you can either accept the hit, the knock, or you can just step over it and make your day a good day. And most of the time you can do that by sharing something with other people that helps their day be a little bit better than it might be.
0: Yeah. So, and when you share things, um, is that would you call that your superpower to make other people happy? Sharing art, making people smile, uh, making people feel something.
1: That's my that's my that's my mission in life. Uh, I love to talk to people. Uh, my wife works with Alzheimer's and dementia uh, as her job, and. I uh, heard something on the Today Show one day that said, the best thing you can do for your brain health is to talk with strangers. And think about it. Why, why is that so? Well, if you're talking with your friends, you know the stories. You can zone out. You can zone out and come back in five minutes later and pick right back up. You know who they had a date with last weekend and, whether they got a new guitar or you're a drummer, whether they found a new kind of drum head that sounds better, you know that stuff. So you really don't have to pay attention. When you talk with a stranger, if you don't pay attention, you make a fool out of yourself. It makes your brain work. And so I like going in a gas station. Uh, at the gas station, I call it the three-star up here across from the, the, uh, the Lutheran Church. Trinity Mm -hmm. up there. And a lot of people are going to, uh, Jack Daniels, right. We'll stop in there and get gas or a biscuit and stuff. And sometimes I'll go up in there and stand around and just see somebody I don't know and, and start a conversation. And it's amazing how much fun you can have and how much you can learn by, by visiting with people that you don't know. And at the end of the day, they'll say, man, this is a friendly place. You know, we really like coming to Middle Tennessee because it's so friendly here. Well, we're the ones that make it friendly. But we're also learning and we're also going to class on on making our brain operate stronger and better because it's it's a muscle and it's exercise and instead of just laying there going, huh, huh, huh I've heard that before. Yeah, I know. You got new tires on your truck. And okay, uh, so flex yourself, you know, reach, grab, uh, look at something that you think there's no way in the world I can do that and do it and be persistent. I tell the young people who come, I talk uh, with our uh, television network. We, we talk to a lot of young people and we present news and, and stuff like that and uh, communications. And I talk to them about communications and I'm uh, there's, uh, you know, Put your cell phone in a box, folks. I mean, do you really have to have that thing on you all the time? You're going to be, at some point, if you're fortunate, you're going to be in the Bat Tower in Nashville on the 20th floor sitting in front of somebody with a $4,000 Armani suit on, and you don't even know what how to read their eyes. You don't know what facial and, and voice inflections because you don't want to talk to anybody. You want to text them because... Texting gives you an opportunity to research your answer. We're we're becoming less and less human and more and more machine. And that is so cold. And we are so warm and beautiful. We're created of flesh and blood, warm blood. 98.6 is what we are. Why make it cold? you know reach out and touch someone be somebody that pats people be somebody that makes people smile it's 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 what we're supposed to be about caring for one another not the hate that's going on right now in our country and it's okay to disagree with somebody it's okay to disagree with your boss now he's your boss and you don't you don't smart off to him or her Uh, But you can disagree respectfully and should be able to do that without someone hating you because you don't agree with them. Uh, The world is about more than just me. It's about us. And the, the sooner we remember that, we knew it. We knew it years ago when we knew who our neighbors were. And we had little cul-de-sac meetings in the neighborhood where everybody brought picnic and we'd just sit out in the street and talk and visit. We knew it. And we understood it. We're somewhere along the line. We've forgotten how to care for one another. And that's that's what we're here for, each other. We're all part of the same deal. So uh, respect and kindness, man. And never quit fighting for something you believe. And uh, because guess what? The the, the minute you stop is the next step you take might have been the guy or girl that you meet that will make your dream come true. Don't let anybody keep you from following your dream. And particularly not for a dollar.
0: Wow. Yeah. And have you always followed your dream? Is this is what you have when done. Well, I could.
1: You have to I mean, you have to be realistic and you have to live a life. Mm-hmm. But uh are you I doing re- now
0: what you thought you were, were going to do when you were a kid?
1: Am I doing now what I thought I would do when I was a kid? Uh I wrote my first song when I was 12 and did I have a clue about that? No. Uh I know I enjoyed doing it. Uh I look, I look, you look behind me on a shelf behind me right now, there is a letter from Telahoma High School that I unearthed where it was a quill and scroll. And little did I know that almost 60 years ago, I had a, a clue of what I would end up loving for the rest of my life, and that's writing. I was on the paper. I was a football player. I was an athlete. You know, that was my biggest man. Sports, 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 golf, football, basketball. I wasn't much of a baseball player. And of course, we didn't have soccer and tennis and volleyball and that kind of stuff much. Um, And then I find this, and in the middle of all that sports stuff and those letters, uh, in between a golf letter and a basketball letter, I pull out that three years I was lettered at Teloma High School for Quill and Scroll. And that was about my love for writing that was I didn't even think about it at that point. But if I didn't, if I didn't have to do it because my mind was making me do it, why in the world would I have that? Why did I keep it? Because somewhere deep in my heart and in my mind I knew that before it was all said and done, that would be the love of my life.
0: So what was your aha moment? When did it it click for you?
1: I don't know if I I ever, uh, I don't know, I've just always sort of been crazy, clown. I mean, like I say, I'm a poet, I'm a storyteller. Uh, My son had an earache when he was about five years old, and I laid down in the bed and made up a story about Buford the Barkless Bulldog, and because he was hurting and and i rhymed it 54 line 54 line verses and and i told it to him and he went to sleep it's what i was trying to accomplish and three or four days later i thought man that was a good story and so i went back and and revisited it and wrote wrote a book about buford the barkless bulldog and it's a great kid's story it's a great good story for anybody my stories and, and stuff are usually pretty odd in that in that, I'm always protective of the underdog. Uh, I'm always protective of the kid who, who gets roughed up a little bit. Uh, Buford can't bark, and at the end of the story, he's the only one of his family that couldn't bark, and he's the biggest of them all. And at the end of the story, he was the hero not in spite of the fact that he couldn't bark, but because of the fact that he couldn't bark. Because the, the mountain lion couldn't hear him barking as he was coming after him. And he, the mountain lion says, dogs always give themselves away. They bark and make all kinds of noise. Buford could open his mouth and try to bark nothing came out. So it wasn't in spite of an infirmary that it, he was a hero, but because of an infirmary. That he ended up being a hero. I love those kind of twists and stuff, in, in what I write. And I'm always protective of of those the underdog. Uh, I write Fran. And Fran likes me to tell her stories, and I, so I'll just, I'll say something like if I could say to you right now, give me, give me, something, anything, and I can, to go. You want to try and, that? And, and it, will it be, will it be pretty? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Uh, but she'll say, "Tell me a story," and I, uh, you know, all of a sudden I'll think about a chipmunk out in the yard. And so it's Charlie the chipmunk. We have uh, two two moles that live under the cedar tree called Freddie and Fontaine. You know, and I tell stories about Freddie and Fontaine and and different Uncle Remus. One of the first movies I saw was The Song of the South. And I took Claudia Copeland, who was my girlfriend at we were either four and a half or five. We went to we went to the Marshall Theater and saw Song of the South and Uncle Remus telling the stories about Burr Rabbit and all that. And that stuff to me was just it was real. It is real. You know. Those little animals, they have some way of talking with each other, and I just love to be able to understand. I use animals a lot because I like animals. My dad told me one time, if you want to learn how to live, pay attention to animals and small children, and you'll live a happy life. And he was a military uh, military guy, World War II bomber pilot, but he paid attention to animals and
0: small children. Well, I'll, I actually i want to test your... Uh, I want to test your ability real quick. I'm going to give yes, you an I, animal.
1: Boy, I have put myself in a position. Yeah, right yeah. <clears throat> uh,
0: open invitation. But um, I want to give you an animal. All right. And I'm going to give you like a minute, two minutes. And I want you to just tell a story about that animal. All right? All right. My favorite animal in the world. And I want you to tell a story about this animal. It's a ring-tailed lemur. Oh, what? A ring-tailed lemur. It's a monkey. It's got a long tail, beautiful eyes, ring tail lemur lemur okay
1: okay okay um where do they live i think south america
0: uh madagascar area that madagascar so oh okay
1: you know it was a it was a monday morning it was early and marco had found his way out of the out of the woods and was coming toward town and Marco was a, was a strange young monkey. He, he loved to watch people as much as people loved to watch animals. So Marco would come to town and climb up in a tree next to the houses. And it was amazing how much he had learned from the people. And he was, he was taken by their clothes that they would wear. And in Madagascar, you know, the, some of the spice trade and the, the, the cloth trade came through there and the dyes and the different thing they use in the silks. And he would take little scraps and he would take them back. If there was a scrap fell off of a wagon, he would take them back to his, to his tree at night and he would take needles off of the tree or pine or whatever it is, pieces of bark, and he'd sew these little scraps together, and he had a beautiful vest that was almost like Dolly Parton's coat of many colors that he wore, and he had a little hat that he'd made and and some silk shoes that he would wear. So he was probably the coolest dressed lemur in Madagascar. And his his one thing that he that he watched for was Uh, Margaret because Margaret had grown up in a grove next to him and one day she disappeared and he didn't understand what happened to Margaret until he went to town and he was looking in past uh, curtains were flowing out of one of the high windows in one of the buildings and and they were, they were silk and they were a tan. So it was really hard to tell because they were almost just the same color of the building. And all of a sudden, the wind would catch them and they would flow. And one day he was looking and he was, he was feeling the breeze blow across his face and looking at the building and he was in the shade and he'd just gotten through eating some nuts that he had found that had fallen off of a wagon. You know, he was quite the little uh, pickpocket Marco was, but he would also pick out of bags on carts as the, as the trades people were coming through to sell their trades at the square. And so he had some nuts, and he had just gotten through dining on them, and he looked over and he caught the curtains blowing, and there was Margaret inside. And he wept she was in a cage and he didn't know what he could do and so every day after that he went to town and he climbed up the same tree and on the same wall and he started figuring out how will i ever be able to get to margaret and get her out of there and bring her back where she belongs so as he moved about the town, he realized how the walls were built and where the trees were, where he could make his way over to the building, and he did. And finally, one day, when the wind blowed and the curtains blew open, he stuck his head through the window. And he had his little vest on and his little hat on, and Margaret was in the cage, and she looked, and she went, Marco, is that you? Yes, Margaret be quiet. Be very, very quiet. I'm here to save you, but I don't know how. And she said, oh, thank you, Marco. I've just been in prison in this cage and I miss my family. And I miss you because I used to enjoy watching you swing on your beautiful tail in the trees. Oh, what a gorgeous tail it is. And by the way, where did you get that nice vest you're wearing? And he said, When I get you out of there, Margaret, I'll make one for you. And she said, I hear something. You better leave. I think my people are coming. And so he snuck back down the wall. And that night, he went back to his tree. And he thought only of Margaret. And he hung by his tail just for her. And he swung back and forth, putting together a plan. And so he went to town that next day. And he thought, I like nuts, and I eat these nuts, and how do I crack these nuts? How do I get the nuts out of the shell? I can't remember how I get the nuts out of the shell. Oh, I remember. I lay them under the wheels of the wagon, and then when the wagon rolls over them, it cracks the shell. So he thought, hmm, I wonder if I could use that on the cage. So he carries some nuts up to the cage, Walk goes in, finds Margaret. Nobody's there, and he sneaks in. And he has these almost like a hazelnut with a hard shell. And he finds some small ones, and he puts them right at the joint of the door of the cage. And she said, "Marco, what are you doing? What are you doing?" He said, Shh, I'm gonna get you out of there. And so he puts the nuts there, and he goes outside, and he hides around the corner. And she said, "Leave, leave quick! My people are coming." They're coming to feed me, and I hate what they feed me. And so they come in, and they open the cage door. Well, they didn't realize when they did that the pressure of opening it against the little nuts that he put there sprung the the latch. And so they threw her food down and just slammed the door. Well, when they slammed it, it was not in line, so it just bounced. And when he heard it bounce, Marco, and heard the door, big door slam, Marco sticks his head in, and he smiles real big. He had kind of dirty-looking teeth because monkeys have dirty teeth. I mean, they're not clean teeth people. They don't brush. They eat. And so he smiled in his big teeth, and she looked back at him, and he said, push on the door. She said, what? Push on the door. And she pushed on the door, and it sprang open. And she smiled. And he ran into the room and she jumped down out of the cage and they hugged each other and out the window they went and the wind blew and the silk just fluttered as they ran down the wall from one tree to the next, down the last tree, into the sand, off into the woods. And that night, Marco and Margaret swang together Tails in the same tree, rocking back and forth in the breeze.
0: Wow, yeah, that's Is that okay. No, oh, that was amazing. <laughs> you you wrote a whole children's book in these three to five minutes or whatever. That you know that was awesome. W- where does
1: I don't know? You just go. It just and shows up. It just shows up. I'll tell I'll tell stories. I wish sometimes I, uh, technology frustrates me, but I wish sometimes that we were further enough along where I could have a a the port, you know, what are the, What do you have those, thumb drive? Yeah. yeah. I'd like to be able to stick a thumb drive in my brain because I'll tell Fran a story and she'll say, well, you need to tell so-and-so that story. And I said, I'll never remember it. Oh, you've got to remember what you told her. I said, it just goes through. It, it's 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 a gift that's there for a moment and then it's gone. I'll never remember Again, oh, I can remember the characters, but I can't remember, I can't remember what takes me from one thing to the next. It's like, it's like it 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 happens and then it's gone. And uh, if you were fortunate enough to be there for it, good for you. If you weren't, I uh, might get close again, but it might not be. It might be worse. It might
0: be better. Who knows? But it's fun. Oh, it, it absolutely! I had fun listening to that story. <laughs> Marco the Monkey. I like Marco
1: that. and Margaret.
0: Yeah. Really From like.
1: Madagascar. That's
0: right. Yeah. Do you have a certain writing process when you sit down, or does it just all... You just let it's it happen? It's funny. It's
1: funny. If I have uh, if I have an idea... I've got an idea right now uh, of a song and a uh, couple, and sometimes uh, it's hard to know whether the word is, is going to be... A chorus, or if it's going to be a major a major theme that that leads you to a chorus. Uh, some people write music, and then write uh, music writers. A lot of them can't write the lyrics. You know, I've got some lyrics that I've taken to some friends and 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 say, Hey, I need I need uh, Elton John. I'm Bernie Tarpin. I need Elton John. Put me some music to this. Well, no, we usually write the music first, then write the words. Well, I'm a lyricist. I'm not. ai mean, I I, I, don't, I have three chords and a half on a good day. Uh, so, you know, I write lyrically. Uh, most anything that I write, even in poetry or lyrically, can be can be blues, jazz, country, whatever, because it's melodic. You know, you know, stretch a word uh, for for uh, phrasing cut a word short for phrasing, get rid of a, a and the, but, or add one, you know, you can, you can turn it into whatever you want. Uh, but a lot of times I'll take something and I'll go, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to work this? And then you come up with some ideas, uh, and then you just write them down, you know, write your ideas down. And I have, I have folders that I have on all my songs. I'm a paper guy. One of these days when the computers all go away, uh, I'll still have all my stuff. It's in filing cabinets, and, uh, you know, uh, people say, are you worried about your your copyrights and stuff like that? And I say, you know, most real writers, the ones that are real writers, they don't want to steal anything from anybody else. They want to write their own stuff, you know? And if somebody says, oh, I wrote that, well, I've, I've got my lunch bag over here dated, where I first wrote that, you know, wrote that down, and... 1987 uh, outside of outside of a store in Winchester eating a bologna sandwich dated and signed where's yours show me yours you know show me your lunch sack show me show me where you started creating this thing and tell me you did it before I did you know I wouldn't I don't think I'd worry with argue with anybody about it or not anyway it's not it all that's about money and that's not that's not the end game. It's it's satisfactions the end game, and and creativity and smile to hear you just watching your eyes when I told that story was that's pay that's all the payment I'll ever need for that story. You yeah. know, that's what it's all about is is sharing your heart, your hope, your faith, your love for other people and other things uh that's what that's what makes us human not uh machines and and uh, fancy stuff it's it's the soft side of life is what makes us human and that's what makes telahoma such an incredibly wonderful town is is the soft side of telahoma the art center and the science center and and south jackson and the the band and the singers and it's the, it's the small businesses in this community who support uh, support all these wonderful things in our town that make it uh, as unique as its name. I know that's a cliche, but Tullahoma but is a very unique town. We're very fortunate because of the government, Arnold Center's presence here. We have a lot of very well-educated uh, individuals living in this town. And they, they demand their children be educated properly. They, they have cultural the proper cultural learning here in this town. And they invest in it to make sure that it happens. So uh, very fortunate.
0: Yeah, and I, I definitely think what you were saying, there's a lot of beauty in being human and doing things without a computer. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, just from meeting with you throughout my whole life, you've always got something to show me physical not on a computer but you've always kept something and there's something special about that there's an attachment to it as opposed to a document on a computer and and there's real beauty in that and speaking of beauty that reminded me about ray price's album how did that song do you did you write it on paper and then all of a sudden that turned into that big opportunity for you
1: i wrote that i wrote that song uh I listened to the radio a lot and I wrote, I was listening to, uh, I think it was Patty Loveless singing this, sang the song. I going to think about Elvis something in the afternoon. I'm going to think about main street and such and such and thinking about anything, but this guy. And so I thought, well, this, that's a listing song. That's all she's doing is listing stuff and it has a hook to tie it all together. And so I thought, well, I'm gonna write a listing song. And uh, I started off with uh, mountaintops, raindrops, you know, because I used to love to hike in the Smokies and, and uh, to go up to the top of Mount Lacan or to the chimneys and watch it rain and you're up there and there's a little trickle of rain coming off the leaves and then by the time you get to the bottom, it's the roaring fork and how our river system and our water systems actually happen from nothing to rivers. And, uh, and then I thought raindrop, mountaintops, raindrop, snowflakes when they fall, uh, a baby's cry, your hazel eyes, a night train's lonely call. And so I'm listing things. And that's all I was doing. And then when I got to the end, a baby's cry, your hazel eyes, night trains on it, uh, uh, lightning strikes, my wild horses running free. And I'm thinking, okay, all of those things are love hate things, mountaintops. Well, if you're sitting on one watching the, watching the planes fly down, in the valley, it's beautiful. But if you're in that plane and you hit one of them, it ain't too pretty. Raindrops, raindrops beating on a windowpane when you're laying in bed on a Saturday morning, wanting that when you're young and laying in bed and want that 30 more minutes sleep and you're listening, that's beautiful. But when they become a hurricane or a flood, it ain't so pretty. A baby's cry when your baby gets spanked the first time in the hospital when they're born and you hear them cry it's the most wonderful sound in the world but when you're on a six-hour flight in an airplane and there's one behind you raising cane it's not too good so all of these things are mixed so it comes to me uh beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder you know you can love this stuff you can hate this stuff it depends on how you're looking at it and I hold beauty every time I hold you, and that's how that whole song started, is as a listing song because Patti Lovelace was singing about Elvis, and it ended up twenty years later being the title cut to Ray Price's final album. Do you, mind you just to, never know. You never know the path that stuff's going to go on. Right.
0: Do you mind singing a verse or two from it?
1: Huh? Oh no, I, I'm, no. I'm not.
0: I'm not. I'm not going to do that. No. I enjoy uh... beauty
1: lies in the eyes of the beholder and I hold beauty every time I hold you with a love that only grows as it grows older and the beauty of it all is forever you'll be holding me to fine lines of trace sweet memories lightly on your face and I don't care if your hair's not always right in place I can see forever when I look into your eyes and sometimes things that can't be seen is where real beauty lies. And that's it. Beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder, and Vince Gill sings harmony with him on that song, and it was done at Ocean Way with a, with a 24-piece orchestra that uh, that Bergen White, who is the biggest string arranger in Nashville, did did the, did the music. It was a. It's an incredible album, and uh, uh, Stephen Foster. I'm on a Stephen Foster. One of his songs is on that album. So I mean, Stephen Foster. I'm on an album with Stephen Foster. Really? Yeah. Willie Nelson had a couple of songs on that album and, and, uh, different ones and, uh, great deal. I went to the Bluebird and sang there and took my friend, Don Jones, who's a upside down left-handed guitar player who lives here in Tullahoma and probably one of the greatest guitar players I've ever heard went and went up and played with me. And, uh, Mandy Barnett was in the show with me and, uh, different
0: ones and uh would you consider that your most impressive win huh would you consider that like your most impressive win like this is the oh yeah that-
1: no i don't know there's nothing else I've, I've done to compare with that i have I, you know i've had probably 25 30 cuts but they're all on small small stuff a lot of it in, in europe you right. know there's a lot of i write old country music matter of fact i just got through writing one call i'm a songwriter for old country stars you know, because the kind of the kind of songs I write aren't what's on drive time radio anymore. The, the drive time country music's more rappy. Uh, Pop. We're not telling stories anymore. Right. Talking about yeah. trucks and yeah, yeah, and yeah, beer. yeah. My truck. It's not. It's not about. It's not. And, and I'm a storyteller. John Prine was a storyteller. Guy Clark. Always trust your cape. Uh, Towns Van Zant. Chris Christofferson storytellers we don't we don't storytelling we've gotten away from storytelling and it's all business it's big business right and you know they they are not going to let i'm a i'm outsider you're, you're outside you're the or you're inside artists didn't used to write george george Strait i don't think ever wrote a song frank sinatra never wrote a song tony bennett never wrote a song songwriters wrote songs, Marvin Hamlish and, and those people like that wrote songs. Well, artists figured out that there's money in it. So now artists write songs because they want that money. And, uh, and I, I, I understand that. And the music business has a formula right now. And as long as fans keep listening and buying the formula, they have if they need twenty of those songs by Monday, they've got five people in the room who can crank twenty of them out by Monday. Cause it's just putting different words in the formula. As long as the fans will suck up and take it, you know. I I, I got frustrated and I wrote a little song. Uh, I love uh, Wizard of Oz, great great movie. I just love that movie. Somewhere with the Rain, Rainbow is probably my most favorite song of ever. And I uh, love the Cowardly Line. And so I was mad at Nashville one day. And I yeah, I wrote If I were king of the forest, not duke, not earl, nor prince, I'd tear down the walls around Music City and put up a white picket fence. I'd take the gates they keep locked tight. I'd take the doors they keep locked tight. Turn them to gates that swing open both ways so anyone could walk right in and have a place to play. I know it's called the music business, but business can be so cold. The fans take what they are given, but they still search for the soul. Of the melodies wrapped around life where stories are still told, camo-clad they search for the heart while the man still hunts for more gold. If I were king of the forest, not duke, not earl, nor prince, I'd howl, I'd croon, let's see, I'd howl, I'd croon, I'd yodel, I'd croon, I'd howl at the moon, and happy to have the chance to share the tales I've learned on life's trails, hold every eye in the room, with melodies good and lyrics understood and folks that can't happen too soon. Wow.
0: Yeah. I love so it. a
1: story. Tell a story. You I know, love it. The, yeah. the fans are out here wanting stories and the businesses, you know, they're camo clad. They search for the heart while the yeah. man still hunts for more gold.
0: And that, I think that's spot on. That's spot on, man. Unfortunately, so, I think it should yeah. be the other way around, but... Um,
1: Not as long as we keep listening to what the, 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 you know, the crap that they feed you. Yeah. And I'm, and, and you know, I'm looking at it through old eyes. Mm-hmm. You're young. Uh, I, I know it was said to me one time that Socrates, you know who Socrates was, said, you know, these damn youth are going to be the ruination of this world. <laughs> what was that about 5,000 years right, ago? Right. Yeah.
0: Well, it seems like there's youth. Every day, so so he, maybe he was right. Actually, yeah, it might be, might uh, be. But um, no. To kind of wrap this episode up on the topic of storytelling, I remember going on your show, just plain living, one day. Yeah, which I was honored to be on your show. By the way, twice well, at this point, you honored
1: me by being there. You're you're a you're an un- unbelievably talented young man.
0: Well, thank you. And and being on that show the first time, one of my greatest honors is signing your guitar. First of all, uh, your acoustic guitar, you have guest sign. That was one of my yeah. first honors. But another honor that um, I, I'm not sure if you know that it was actually an honor, but you you signed and gave me one of your poems you wrote. And I absolutely love that poem. It's called A Wolf is at the Door. Yeah. And uh, if you have it, I want you, to, I want you to read it for the audience and we, we can end it with that poem because I absolutely love that poem. And I think about it a lot, actually. And I still have it. You signed it and, and dated it. Well,
1: you know, when I do that and I don't know, I don't know. I, sometimes I do it and I think, hey, you know, that, those all end up in the garbage somewhere. But uh, this I, I did a, a wrote a lot of stuff, as most writers did during the Corona. And I call them all of my Corona collection. And I remember when the the, the virus was first getting started and a lot of folks were stranded you know, and and you're on an aircraft or you're on a tour ship or you're somewhere out of the country and you can't get back home. And so uh, this is what I wrote. An Afghan I met asked the bartender Ed for another ale. The Russian Rasta passed out in her vodka. She's going to feel like hell. The Greek greets a giddy girl as she glances as she graces his glance with a grin. The Spaniard savors his sausage soup and a st- a stein of studs, while Paul from Peru hoists a few pints with his buds. The rabbi roars, bartender one more round for us all, even that frisky fat friar by the fire down the hall. The Scot blows his pipes for the loss of his wife to an Irish prick named Phil as the innkeeper searches for a Frenchman who skipped out on his bill. The British cat is having a chat with a Swede slurping stew as some Muslims mingle modestly with curry-scented smiles. The road outside the tavern is empty for miles and miles. Americans, Germans, Japanese, and many more that roam Found this safe sanctuary when they couldn't go back home. A crazy cluster of characters like I've never seen before. It's funny how we can all get along when a wolf is at the door.
0: I love the poem. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, Such an honor. What a great conversation. I learned so much just listening to you. um, And I'm sure you will inspire others who listen to this. So I, I really thank you and appreciate you for being on my show.
1: Well, I appreciate, uh, uh, I'm honored that you asked me to. And, uh, you know, it's, it's old cats sometimes talk a little more than they need to. But, you know, when you're looking, when you're looking toward the end instead of toward the, the climb, you think, man, I really need to share this. And but does anybody care? Well, yeah, I don't really care whether they do or not, they're gonna listen. I'm gonna tell them anyway, because it's stuff that people, young people need to know is don't lose, ever lose faith in yourself, in your dream, and never allow someone to define your happiness. Only you can define your own happiness. And go, my young friend and reach for the stars and fly like an eagle in the night. I'm proud of you, and uh, I respect you for what you do, and I know you'll be just fine.